Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Radio, Rain Man Digital's exclusive Western show, a place where we celebrate all forms of Western entertainment from movies and television to comics and books, but with a deeper focus on the weird Western subgenre. And today, keeping with that, David and I will be talking about Outer Range, which is an Amazon science fiction, supernatural, neo-Western mystery thriller. No joke. It's all those things. And it's currently streaming on Amazon. And it was created by Brian Watkins and it stars Josh Brolin, who let me just say this right out the gate. Josh Brolin is an underrated talent who should be playing more western type characters am i right absolutely a hundred percent a thousand percent agree with you that josh brolin is an underrated talent i mean even in a movie like sicario which isn't a traditional western but there are definitely some aspects of the neo-western he's fantastic in that he does so good with these very specific roles, the, the stoic, serious roles. Yeah. I mean, dude, look at No Country for Old Men. Yep. I mean, his work in that w- with Sicario, with um, even the version of Old Boy that they did. The, yeah, the he, remake, was, he was the best part of that. He was the best part of that because he can play those type of characters. Yeah. All right, so the official synopsis, Royal Abbott is a Wyoming rancher fighting for his land and family who discovers a mysterious black void in the pasture. Following the arrival of Autumn, a drifter with a connection to Abbott's ranch, while the Abbott family copes with the disappearance of their daughter-in-law, Rebecca, they are pushed further to the brink when a rival family, the Tellersons, try to take over their land. Now, David, I should say and let our listeners know that this is an eight episode season. Yes. And we are going to be discussing and breaking down the series as if people have watched at least 
six episodes. Now we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of the spoiler areas. We're going to try to stay away from that. But as per usual with most of our weird West discussions, if the conversation veers that way, then we're going to get into it. So if you are not afraid of spoilers, please continue listening. We're not going to get into areas that would ruin the show for you, but we're also not going to be overly cautious. So keep that in mind. Uh, This is a series that the weird West genre, David has needed for a very long time, taking the mysteries of the universe and combining them with the elusive indifference of the universe. We get a series that delves into the absurd nature of a chaotic cosmos Um, Honestly, the best way to truly describe this series is to imagine Twin Peaks meets the Twilight Zone with a dash (laughs) of the Outer Limits with a fringe chaser wrapped together with the philosophical theory of absurdism. How do you like that? Yeah. How do you like that pitch? (laughs) And the thing is, it's kind of like earlier you mentioned about like what it's supposed to be genre wise. It branches into so many different genres that calling it calling it just a simple western thriller is a disservice because it doesn't give truly the scope of what this series is capable of yeah exactly so the first season of the series is made up of eight episodes and the filmmakers involved used every minute of these episodes to convey a very specific thought sometimes with exposition which is the more obvious but then we have moments where The camera is left to explore the realities of the world through clever camera framing, movement, and and blocking. Uh, The series also succeeds in many areas, but none more so than the tone it conveys. That's where it's most successful, which is vital to a series like this. The camera and directing are not the only things involved in that process. For example, the score, I believe, was composed by two individuals, Sonder Jurians and Danny Benzi, I believe, are the two composers. And they have a very distinct style that privileges the use of well-timed, unnerving drones and other orchestrated sounds over a traditional score. A good way to... to or I should say a good TV series to serve as an example of this type of score is Brian Fuller's take on Hannibal. Yes. If you remember yeah. Hannibal, some of the things that really worked to really hammer home uh, the imagery was the use of the score. Yeah. Because like it, the it was score, more sound design. Yeah. The sound design and the score play absolutely pivotable, a uh, pivotable. Yeah. In, in the storytelling in both series, especially in outer, uh, outer range, because they use cues to kind of like tell the story of the character. Yeah. If people cannot tell, this is by no means a traditional Western or even a traditional neo-Western. This is a series I should say that wants its viewers to ponder. Yeah. Ponder existence, ponder purpose, and the chaotic nature of the universe and the plans or lack of plans it has for us. Yes. So that is all I will say as set up. David, give me your initial thoughts. My initial thoughts for Outer Ranger, I was really psyched to cover this with you because 
as I said earlier, the the series simply calling it a Western thriller, neo uh, Western, whatever is a disservice because there's so much going on in this. You have elements like what you mentioned earlier about twilight zone and outer limits, even like for more people, like more recent times, if like with uh stranger things, stuff like that, this is that type of series. And it amazes me that basically that this series kind of flew under the radar. No one was talking about it. And after two episodes, I found myself yelling, why isn't anyone talking about this series? It is amazing because of what they're able to do, not just on on writing purposes, but in all the purposes. The cast is wonderful. The the setting, the camera use, the sound design that that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. For me, it was all the camera techniques that they pulled off in, in this series. I mean, this is a filmmaker's wet dream. It's a, it's a filmmaker's wet dream because like they use, they use these elements to tell their story. They don't use very much exposition, which is so refreshing. There's actually not a lot. I don't need tons and tons of exposition or narration from any character to see what's going on. It could be a little audio cue. It could be a simple camera trick of a, of a certain way they pan, a certain way that it goes in and out of focus. Those are the moments in the show that just have me captivated. And then you throw in this cast that I feel is full of underrated actors, not just Josh Brolin, but I mean like the actor who plays Wayne Tellison. Um, I will Patton. Yeah, he's fantastic, fantastic fantastic actor. Really cool. Kind of portrays this crazy uh, father figure on the Tellison side. And then on top of that, the sons, the sons are played well by uh, Tom Fillory, who plays Perry and Noah. I think it's, uh, I want to say it's Lewis Pullman who plays Rhett. Yeah. The sons are played very well. Yeah, and we'll get into the cast aspects a little bit later, but I do agree with you. The cast is pretty dynamic. It It is. Yeah. And you touched on a lot of things, Dave, that really has made watching this series such a rewarding experience. The filmmakers involved in this series, they have a great handle on film language, which is a missed art. It is. In modern television, you would think it wasn't, but it is. There's a lot of people writing TV nowadays that probably shouldn't be writing TV. (laughs) And the group of writers for this series absolutely should be writing television. They understand the nuances of filmic conventions. And this is one of those shows that rely heavily on those things, specifically iconography. You had mentioned that there isn't a lot of exposition or narration to explain the story you're right the use of carefully constructed imagery and symbolism is something used as more of a an ancillary means to convey an idea in this series it's organized in a manner that assists the more traditional narrative and it's i guess you could say it's discur- uh, discursive cues that deliver the story and needed information to the audience yes or not, not, and not, they're not giving away anything. It's almost like they're hinting. They're trying to make sure that the audience is still with them. They're not lost. 
but they're not going to openly hold your hand to figure out what's going on. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. Now, even though they're not going to hold your hand, and I, I do want to stress that this is all ancillary because the symbolism is there to help the observant viewer to translate meaning that, assi that actually assists the more overt story elements. But the casual viewer will also be fine. Yes. But if you choose to look deeper into aspects of the show, you will begin to notice a pattern of symbolism that is strikingly direct in its approach. Yeah. It's telling you a lot of the things you need to know. For example, the use of the buffalo is an ongoing symbol that interacts with various characters. Interestingly, from this, we can derive a bit of meaning. Uh, for example, the buffalo is commonly a symbol associated with survival, strength, and power. Yes. Typically, this is interpreted to mean that the buffalo is a sign that signals that you are supposed to complete a new endeavor. But yes. in contrast, and possibly more relevant to this series, is the notion that you are being warned. Warned that you are deviating from your life's path. Also, it can represent your heritage and roots, both of which, once you start delving into the later episodes, viewers will begin to see how these aspects actually fit. That's why the symbolism, or I should say the overall iconography of this show is so fucking on point. Oh, it's on point because like, not only is the Buffalo just in itself a symbol, but also how they designed the Buffalo. The fact that, they always take a moment to focus on two arrows in the Buffalo and the Buffalo is only standing there. Right. But that adding that bit of nuance to your image says a lot. It's like almost like you're adding more detail to what you're trying to say to the audience than just having a random Buffalo appear. This is shading to a sketch. Yes. So like, say for example, like, especially in Western folklore, a buffalo is very, very spiritual. It's a very spiritual element, but the way that you as a writer in a Western story portray the buffalo, maybe you put it as the white buffalo, the legendary white spirit buffalo, then you all of a sudden, you know, hearken to Native American culture, the, 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 the legends of the Armageddon and stuff like that. And you see the white Buffalo, but here they do something different. They go, all right, we're going to put the Buffalo, but the simple symbolism of the Buffalo having two arrows stuck into it, possibly like what you said, a, a, a saying, a omen of, uh, uh, of danger, or maybe it's like a warning or it could be basically, Hey, you're on the right path. Uh, but something is going to kind of take its hand at that point and also steer you in the diff a different direction. Yeah. And if we have time, David, after we share our final thoughts in the saloon, we can get into more spoiler stuff and we can talk about some theories pertaining to the Buffalo. Yeah. If you would like, if we have time. So the show's creator, Brian Watkins, he ultimately works diligently within the traditional forms of narrative to create a world that is similar to our own, but uses the absurd nature of our reality to slightly skew the way we perceive the fictional world of outer range, which in essence 
works to convey the oddities of the world that we are in in this show. Um, our listeners will probably notice I've used the word absurd or absurdism a few times. And David, I will get into that in greater detail towards the end of the show. But first, I want to talk about the cast, which you had started taking us in that direction, Dave. And I will say, I agree with you 100% when it comes to the casting choices for this series. Number one, Josh Brolin is just not given enough credit. No. (laughs) He's just not. The series uses this character as the classic Western trope. He is the silent type. He is the stoic cowboy. He is the man at odds with nature. And Josh Brolin conveys every bit of that. Now, to round out the cast, we also have Tom. What'd you call him? What was his last name? Billifrey. Billifrey. This guy is highly underrated. I'm surprised they haven't utilized him to his fullest potential yet. He gained fame in a TV show titled Banshee that was available on Cinemax, an amazing TV show where he plays a neo-Nazi, a former neo-Nazi who becomes a deputy, a deputy sheriff. Fantastic work in that series. He has the type of emotional range that will blow you away. He was also the greatest thing in the worst Marvel TV show titled Iron Fist. He was Ward Meacham who was the best aspect of that show. Yeah. And then we have Will Patton who plays that character that's slowly slipping into psychosis. Yeah. Into madness. He is the best character for that. Will Patton is a guy that has been around for forever. And I can't remember a time in my life that he hasn't been acting and yet he's never really have, he's never become a household name. No, no. But any, any project I've ever seen Will Patton in it, he, he steals it. it. He's, oh yeah. He, there's some projects he steals the show. Yeah. Because like, it's like, I want to know more about his character than sometimes the main character, or you even take the side of his character and you go, Oh no, you know, he's kind of right. Especially how he's being portrayed. And dude, his character in here is so perfectly used because you're not, you're, you're like constantly kept on your, on your toes around Wayne because it's kind of like, are we supposed to see him as the quote unquote villain? Maybe, maybe not. I think we have one of those shows that is designed that there's no villain. There, yeah, there is none. That there's no definitive villain. It's more obstacles. Yeah, because like, obstacle based. Because I think the villain or the antagonist is nature itself, is nature or itself. the absurd universe. Because in the in the long run, his character is actually affected by nature. So is it his fault? Right. That nature decided to screw him up. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's not yeah. his fault. And you know, David, these actors are all great. Every single one of them. But an actor can only do as good as the writing of the script, yes. as well as the series directors. Are they directing these actors? Are they doing enough with their talents? And the performances are subtle. 
which is good, except for Will Patton. Will Patton is that that crazy type of character that yeah. that a lot of actors will kill to play. Yes. But Josh Brolin, he shines in the, in the subtlety yeah. of performance. Oh, yeah. There are so many shows nowadays that focus on the eccentric performances over the more straight performances. And because of that, so many consider great performances to be something that is crazy and overly eccentric, outlandish, if you will. Uh, forgetting that sometimes an actor that works to suppress emotions is doing something entirely underappreciated. Yes. And Josh Brolin's slow burn performance works in tandem with the mysteries of the world he lives in. His emotions and the way he feels about something are elusive, sometimes displaced, which fits with the tone of the show. We don't always get those types of performances. I mean, we do have that eccentric role. As I mentioned, Will Patton is playing that. You know, which, what does he use? Would you say he, he plays the scenes with a sense of manic urgency? Yes, for, for, for Will Patton's character, absolutely. Because especially when you, you kind of get the sense that Wayne is on his deathbed. So it makes sense why he's so manic. Because he's like trying to, he's trying to, you get a sense, especially in, in I think it was episode, even in episode one, when they kind of sh alluded to him and you see him in that, in his office, you get the sense that he, he's that guy that's rallying against the darkness and constantly fighting against a fighting against something that he, he absolutely cannot defeat. You know, like they, they say father time is defeated is, is undefeated and to fight something like something that is inevitable is impossible. That's Wayne. He's, he's essentially Sisyphus going up the mountain and then the, the stone just rolls back over him and goes back to the bottom of the bottom of the uh, hill. And he has to do it all over again. Yeah. That is Wayne. That that's the sense I got from episode one that he's on his deathbed and he's just trying all he all he can to take control. Yeah. And he is that character that has the ability. This is a very tried and true character trope mm -hmm. or archetype. I should say he's the character that actually somewhat understands and knows what's happening. Yes. But because he's deemed crazy or he's sick and possibly dying, the audience as well as the people in his, in his life tend to look at him as simply going crazy going crazy as he nears death because of that we're not sure whether or not we can rely on his senses there you go. yeah if we can rely on what he knows of what's happening well even with even with josh brolin's portrayal of of uh royal royal it's interesting to me that royal is that stoic the rancher who's caught in this scenario that is otherworldly mm -hmm. and is larger than himself. But e even though he is the, the, the father figure of the family, you kind of get the sense that everyone kind of looks at him, even his granddaughter and basically says, Oh, it's grandpa. That's just grandpa. It's like, uh, it's that, that moment in the very beginning when the first initial without getting me any spoilers, because I'm trying not to for this series, 
is the first moment that you get this hint that something is off, but everyone in the family treats it like, oh, well, it's grandpa. Don't worry. It's all right. And they pass it off. Why? Because he's the eldest. He's, yeah. he, he's the, 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 his time is coming up, so to speak. Yeah. That's even worse when you think, <laughs> think about it. Now using that same thing that you just explained, you know, having, so having a writer write things, or I should say taking aspects and essentially building in justifications as to why you're going to do something with a character yes. shows uh, the ability for foresight mm -hmm. because one of my biggest problems with shows like this are characters that are, that are unwilling to tell people what they just experienced. Yes. For example, David, if you were walking out to a pasture or through a pasture that you owned and you saw a giant hole in the ground, the first thing you would probably do is tell your wife. Yes. Hey, you would never believe what I fucking just saw. Who would it? I'd be getting on in this day and age. I'd be getting on TikTok and, yes. and shooting a video and posting it. Uh -huh. But what did the writers do in order to maintain that mystery and to keep these, these issues separated for obvious strategic purposes when it comes to the narrative? What do they do? They purposely write this character as someone who essentially keeps to himself. Not, not just someone that who has communication issues, communication issues, and also faith issues. Because remember, one of the things that they established in the very beginning was the fact that he wasn't very religious. They do that whole mass thing in the very beginning. And what is Royal doing? He's in the back, just reading a book. Right. And, and we'll get into that because that whole faith aspect has a lot to do with, yes. with our discussion on absurdism, mm -hmm. but you are right. But this is what, Good writers do. They justify reasons why a character would do something that doesn't necessarily make sense in yes. our world. Because I don't know a single person that wouldn't share what they saw immediately with others. And the fact that he is going through, I don't want to say it's an existential crisis, but it is a crisis of faith or Possibly he has no faith because he doesn't believe in anything, which leads into our discussion on absurdism. So we had talked about this. Okay, which these religious aspects tie in a little bit more when you or make better sense, I should say, or more sense when you start looking at the potential philosophical inspirations that the showrunner is utilizing for I don't know thematic purposes or purposely underlying underlining meaning yeah. of the overall series and that is the philosophical system of thought known as absurdism briefly because we can spend the next two years on this but briefly, absurdism is an offshoot or variation of existentialism. In fact, absurdism, nihilism, and existentialism are mostly considered to be very similar. An easy way of looking at it is almost like how religions 
uh, have splintered off into other religions over the centuries. Yeah. Uh, there's a general, general agreed upon doctrine, but the various interpretations are not reconciled by the individuals that hold on to those beliefs and we get an offshoot. I've drawn this connection of absurdism on a few things. The narration during the third episode alluding to the world and the universe not giving a shit, which I'm going to play right now just to jog everyone's memory. And if you have not seen this, then this will be informative. There's a few key words that we can pick out for, from the narration of episode three that pretty much, it, for someone who studies philosophy or who's a fan of philosophy. This is like a flag. <laughs> yes. Just listen to how this episode opens up. First, there was a storm of carbon and molten rock. And that begat granite and soil. And land shook and cracked and rose till it sparked the sky. And forests grew and died and grew a hundred times again. And people grew and died and grew a hundred times again. There were storms and seasons and fences and blood, wonder and vengeance and regret. And the land and the sky didn't give two shits. Right there. Yeah. The land and the sky are basically stand-in words for the universe. The idea of absurdism, this philosophical theory essentially states that life in general is absurd. This implies that the world lacks meaning or a higher purpose and is not fully intelligible by reason. The absurd aspect stems from a collision between rational man, which we are, and an irrational universe between intention and outcome or between subjective assessment and the objective worth. A philosopher, Albert Camus, was a leading philosopher in this field of thought. To put it simply, the universe doesn't care about you. Yes. Basically, like, overall, the, the philosophy is to basically tell people, hey, the universe is full of chaos. It's irrational. You cannot put any meaning to it. So the search for order in the universe brings you into conflict with that. And, and, and it's, and it's a constant, you know, Hey, it's, it's close to nihilism where basically there is no God. Yeah. God they, is nothing. Yes. They both share the belief also that life is meaning, meaningless, meaningless. And like you have to embrace the fact in that. And when you do, you actually attain almost like an enlightenment. Like nothing else matters. All that really does matter is what you do. Right. And th this line of thinking or branch of philosophy as a whole originally sparked during the Enlightenment era when we started to realize as a civilization that we were not governed by superstitious ideals, that the gods do not exist because as we started to evolve as civilized individuals, we discovered science. Yeah. And we realized that we were no longer the center of the universe. And this changed the way we viewed ourselves as people. 
In fact, if you were to throw yourself 150 years ago, you would probably be one of those people who experienced that. In fact, we had a, a surge of literature, not even just philosophy, but literature led by some of the biggest names in lit history that experienced this form of existentialism yes. because of the enlightenment, because we realized, oh, so science is what governs everything and we're not the center of the universe. We're on a fucking rock in a chaotic universe that doesn't really notice us. Yes. And because of that, it led to an entire branch of existential literature H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is one of them. Mm -hmm. He expressed that fear or dread of the meaningless in almost every piece of work he wrote. So those elements of thought is definitely being used in this series. It's not being used just in, in, in thematic aspects. It's also using... I want to say it's being used in a more tangible sense for the narrative. It's governing the narrative as well. It's not yeah. just a theme. Oh no, absolutely. Because you can use that quote unquote theme to everybody, all the characters in the story. It doesn't just center around Royal. I mean, you can even see, see it being played out in parallel with when it comes to Royal and his wife, the, the, the idea of God, the way that Royal looks at his wife when he, I remember in one point he tells his wife, so I guess this is all God's, uh, what did he say? It was like. Alluded to like the whole classic saying of God's plan. Yeah, this is God's yeah. plan. Yeah. And you could tell that basically this theme of like, uh, of absurdism is just littered. It is the basis of Royal. Yeah. Because. To to an absurdist, religion is 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 a is a disease because it is a weakness in humanity because the humanity, belief in God, yeah. the belief in God, the belief in a higher being that basically says, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna, uh, I have a special special w destiny for you," mm -hmm. and that's the bigger thing too. Is like. I thought what was genius about this, then you throw in the element of what the pit does to Royal. Yeah. And it's not like God saying it. It's the overall idea that basically Royal sees quote unquote into the future, meaning his entire existence is predetermined to an absurdist. The idea of predetermination and destiny and order is it, it drives them crazy because there's no way that it, that could happen because the universe is irrational and chaotic. They believe in a form of free will. They believe in a form of free will. Yeah. So the idea, the thing I love about outer range, it shows the, it, it, you know, like everything you're saying, you're 100% spot on. Uh, but it takes the idea that absurdism is in conflict with the reality that we are in. Yes. And they take that up a notch by putting absurdism against other theories of theories thought of as thought. well. The, and like, creates that conflict. And it create and takes other theories of thought and theories of science like time travel. Mm -hmm. Time travel should not exist in absurdism because that does not make sense because time travel means that you are pre predetermined to do something. Yeah. And there is nothing you can do to, to, to change your destiny. No, 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 no. That 
to an absurdist, that's that's incorrect because that's not chaotic. That's yeah. order. Yeah, and that's why when you look at what they're doing with the character Josh Brolin being essentially the embodiment of absurdist thought, he's the stand-in for the rational. Okay, he's the, the yes. rational element of the universe. And the irrational are the odd, unexplained phenomenon happening in and around the character's ranch. He's a person that doesn't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. He hates God. And the things he witnesses has shaken or awakened this potential agnostic worldview. And this whole idea is positioned adjacently with the character's wife, as you mentioned, which makes it that much more interesting and nuanced because she's a person of faith. Yes. She believes in God. So she's the contrasting element. Or if you even, even take it further, the, when they introduce the character of Autumn into yeah. the story, she plays a perfect foil for Royal because Autumn represents kind of like that. I think she's the villain, dude. The, the, the hippie mindset, you know, oh, you know, there's a great, there, there's a great uh, meaning to everything, right? Especially when this is probably the only spoiler I'm going to give. In the in episode one, when she looks at Royal and tells him, "This is a moment that mankind has been waiting for," that is against that. That in itself is a statement that spits in the idea of absurdism. Yeah, because you're essentially saying this is this is a predetermined moment that basically had to happen when she pushes Royal into the pit. She's the perfect foil to Royal, who is kind of that rational person who taking a step back and you look at Royal and you go, uh, what you've been alluding to in the last, uh, in the last minute or so is the fact that Royal embodies the normal, rational human being. And like the, the question of why, if people see these things, these supernatural elements in real life, why don't they actually t- talk about it? Oh, so David, you have brought a few things to the surface. So as I said, Josh Brolin is the rational or the embodiment of the rational. Yes. And Autumn may in fact be the embodiment of the irrational. The irrational, the chaos. Because look what she does. Look at everything she does. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love this show. I love this show. All right. So David, let's just get into our final thoughts and then we'll talk about critical reception and then we will touch on some spoilers. And for the spoiler section, let's just leave it to a couple theories. Okay. Okay. Rather than getting in, into the nitty gritty of everything, we don't have enough time for that. So David, give me your final thoughts as well as your RMD score. My final thoughts, this... Oh, hold on. Oh, I always forget now, David. We need to go into the, oh, saloon. Into the saloon. We have to We're open up those doors and give a couple uh, finger guns at Autumn. <laughs> Autumn. All right. Order some the... wake-up juice. Yeah, wake-up juice. Um, have some... Is there any other hot chicks in this besides um, <laughs> Autumn? I think Autumn's the only one. That's yeah, all right. He's hot enough. Okay, David, go ahead. My final thoughts uh, and score on this one, right off the bat. I am going to give this series, it's lived up to my expectations, a 95 so far. Mm -hmm. Because uh, me and you are talking about episodes one through six. Yeah. And I I cannot scream to the heavens that people need to watch Outer Range 
if they want to see really great writing, acting, a series that basically should be a water cooler type of mm-hmm. uh, show that everyone's talking about. Oh my God, did you see this in this last episode? Did you see this in this episode? Um, but overall, I definitely think that basically this is worth everyone's time. I want to see what happens in the end of this because I have so many theories that basically what the hell is going on. And I love the fact that basically, just like you said, we were expecting to see a Western supernatural series. We ended up getting a Western supernatural series with a philosophical touch. Yep. That's really rare to find. And, yeah. and I think that people who do not watch Outer Range are missing out on it. Yeah. So what did you give it? I gave it a 95. Okay. So, David, I'm going to give it an 89%. I don't have a problem with the story or the narrative at all. The only reason why it's not getting 90 or above is because there's some inconsistency in style and format. And that I'm not sure why they're doing. For example, the first three episodes start with a narration, a voiceover, and then they just drop it. I, I Is just, that part of the idea, though, Mike, about like it could chaos? Be. It could be, but... Especially it, especially when you take into hey the guys, narration. I don't know how to write so uh, because it's based on absurdism and it's irrational. So I'm just going to write a bunch of irrational ideas. It, it, the, when you <laughs> say it like that, it, you can't it, it's do like that. that. But... If you look at all the elements and how they're using their themes, especially mm-hmm. with the narrations, they're all being told by Royal. And yeah. <laughs> Royal is that 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 rational person who's logically trying to explain everything. Yeah, David, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just trying to be objective and I'm just not entirely okay when shows change their style. No, that's true. Especially when you're dealing with eight episodes. Come on. Now, if there's a reason for it later, then yeah, of course, I would probably retrospectively change my RMD score. But for the most part, I feel like 89% is a pretty fair grade. The The series is everything I wanted it to be. I wasn't quite sure what to expect from the series, from the trailer, because the trailer doesn't really give a lot. But I would suggest that people are patient when yeah. they watch this series. Fortunately for you viewers, if you're now, because of listening to us, you're going to check it out. It should be all available by the time you listen. By the time you listen to this discussion, all the episodes will be out and you could just binge your way through without having to be patient. But I wouldn't call this series a slow burn, David. I would just call it a series that takes its time with its narrative because there's an intricate story to tell Mm -hmm. because it's not just about the narrative. Isn't just getting to work on the things that we discussed. There we go. There are so many issues pertaining to the family dynamic Mm -hmm. of, of the ranchers families. And there's a story within a story And a lot of it is governed underneath this idea of absurdism. But for the most part, not every episode is dealing with the the supernatural or the the, the weird of this Western. 
there's also episodes that are dealing with the immediate issues of the family. Yes. And then they remind us of what's going on in the background concerning this, this void that our lead character had found. So the only thing I would say is be patient. This isn't the tr- the traditional uh, superficial fast paced TV shows that we're getting no, nowadays. No, 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 it is not. Now, luckily the general conv- consensus is right around, well, it's actually below us by a bit. The average critic consensus is 79%. Yeah. And the average audience score is also 79%. I think it's low too because like people are judging it because of their release schedule. It's not complete yet. So I bet you that by the time the ending comes, the score is going to be much higher. I have that gut feeling, Mike, that basically by the end of this, the series, it, the way the writing's being done, you can see that basically it's heading to a good spot. You know, we can always tell when writing is heading to a bad spot, but we can also do the flip side and see when the writing's heading towards a good spot. Yeah. Our range is heading toward a good spot. Yeah. I don't understand. There's some people saying that I'm not sure why I keep coming back for more. <laughs> Another character says I gave it six episodes, but it's truly a bore fest. This is a mature show. That's void of the typical glitz and glam and unnecessariness that fills so many TV shows today. Yeah. This is a show that's designed to be watched. You have to pay attention. Yes. These people that are so bored with these types of shows nowadays, I guarantee you they don't read. (laughs) Because imagine putting this person, sitting this person down in front of a book. What's the story you have to read? Well, I don't know what's going on, and I've already read two chapters. Well, you got to read the whole fucking book, bro. You got to watch the whole thing. Since when did we become this society It needs to be told exactly what's happening in the first episode or even in the first fucking season. If lost were to come out today, it wouldn't even make it to its 12th episode, David, without people just giving up. And then the show would be canceled. Yeah. No one has patience today for good, well, strategic, well, strategically written TV shows. They just don't. No, they don't. They want the immediate. They want the Witcher. Which should be ripped off television. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this does bring us to the end. Oh, wait, David, do you want to get into some spoilers? Is there a few things you want to talk about? Oh, okay. So we want, we were going to talk about theories. Okay. So what do you think is happening? I think at first when I actually was going through episode two, I thought it was totally time travel. Totally trying. It had to be time travel. Yeah. Because you were dealing with actually this minerals that were causing that, that could cause people to actually see into the future. Now it was in determined how far they could see because every time that every time that basically Josh Brolin's character Royal touched the, touched the ooze, it would send like five minutes or be like the next day. So it was inconsistent how far, how far into the future he would see. We're not even sure if he's seeing into the future each time. We just know for sure. We know for sure. And then on top of that, 
then after second the second episode, I started thinking to myself, okay, now this is more than time travel because what is throwing things into the 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 pit and having them disappear mean? You know, when he throws in the body, when he throws in the shovel, throws in dirt, the pit can never be filled. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with time travel, especially when you have the twist in the end or twist in, I think it was episode four, that not only is, is it about time travel, but that moment when Autumn and Royal have, and it changes the landscape, it, literally. Yeah. Like a mountain disappears, Mike. Mm-hmm. That's not time travel. <laughs> yeah. Not- My thought is similar to yours. I don't think we're dealing with traditional time travel. Although if you listen to the opening narration of the first episode, the narration does mention Kronos. Yeah, the God. Which is the God of time. God of time. So we could be dealing with a supernatural aspect of time travel, not something that's necessarily governed by science or the rules of science. That's governed by just like what we saying, absurdism and chaos. Yes. So the mountain disappearing. So I do think we're dealing with a type of time travel but it's not as straightforward as we are led to believe based on the ending of the second episode. Yes. So I have a feeling that a, the rocks that are popping up are from different time periods. I, I and get that. the fact that people are disappearing and there are landmarks that are disappearing. I believe have to do with the fact that they're being temporarily sucked up by a void. And they're being taken to some other time period and left. And sometimes they are returned and sometimes they are not. not. For example, the mountain disappearing was probably because they, the mountain itself probably was taken to a different time period. And then it was brought back moments later. Yes. The outer layer of the rocks are made of amber, which will tell you right there. I believe that we're dealing with the past. So I have a feeling that what we're witnessing is things being ripped from time and then being placed in different times. In different times. Now, that's one, that's one theory. Another theory is that we could possibly be dealing with alternate realities, which I hope we're not because I'm just burnt out on that. Yes. Yeah, it's just everybody has a multiverse and I'm just fucking tired of it. But it definitely lend, lends some credibility to that idea of alternate realities because like the mountain only disappeared when Royal and autumn came to an agreement and shook hands. Yeah. They're, they're both definitely at the heart of what's happening without a doubt. Yeah. They have a part in all of this, not just because they are the characters of choice. They are definitely causing some type of reaction. And then on top of that, it's kind of like, if it's a random occurrence, I can understand that. But then then you throw in the other elements that are more strange. Well, what about the Buffalo? Buffalo keeps appearing randomly. That can't be part of the, the, I think the Buffalo is from a different time period, possibly the 1800s that got ripped from the 1800s and now is roaming the contemporary time period. Because like, remember because it has arrows in it. Yeah. And remember that the, I think it was, there was another another person explaining something just randomly about how 
dead people just seem to wander. And then there was a story from a guy that said that he heard sounds coming from a cave and he went to the cave and he saw something that should have been extinct. It was a mastodon. Yes. Which is basically a prehistoric elephant. So uh, it feels like things are being ripped from time and being replaced or just being left. It's all random, irrational, if you will. And then... Then on top of that, if it is all time, then explain what Wayne went through. Right. As a child. That was the curveball right there. That was the curveball because that's what basically told me. Nope. This is more than just freaking time travel. Now we're not, we are probably dealing with a type of time travel, but it's not being governed by the rules of science. There's something else at play because yes, after that episode, that was a curveball. Yes. Because it changed the way we looked at that void because something reached out in the shape of a person, a boy and grabbed his foot. Yes. And that character played by Will Patton has been traumatized the rest of his life and because funny, of, because of his experience. You know, what was the most craziest thing was like, originally I kept thinking to myself, Oh my God, is that young Royal? Because Royal you remember said he he just showed up on the ranch one day and didn't have a uh, a history prior to showing up on the ranch. He never told anyone about his family or something. But right? then, yeah, then uh, then it was like funny because I was reminded by someone that said, no, he said that basically he did have a family after, before this. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that, that what that came, whatever came out of the pit on Wayne had to be Royal. It had to be something else. Right now. Also, David, you ready for my ultimate theory? Okay. Are you sure you're ready for this? <laughs> it's not that groundbreaking, but autumn is the little girl. Oh yeah. Everyone, everyone okay. th- is waiting yeah, okay. for that reveal. And maybe it's so obvious on purpose because it won't end up being her. But if you watch what the filmmakers are doing in editing, Every time there's a scene with Autumn, the next scene is the little girl. Yeah, Amy. Yeah. And that's the thing with that. And that could be misdirection. You know, could they could be attempting to subvert. Our expectations. Yeah, but there's already so much going on in a show like this. I don't feel like you need to try to subvert because yeah. there's already a bunch of what the fucks. Oh, yeah. And... Honestly, from what we've been seeing too, is like everything that the filmmakers do within the series has a purpose for, from their audio cues, from their editing and from their camera placements, everything has a, has a reason. So to just throw that away, right? That autumn, every time autumn shows up, we go to a shot of Amy and especially how autumn interacts with Royal, especially in the very beginning when she's talking to him about what would you give up for the ranch? It's almost like she's trying to figure out why did he give up the ranch in the first place? You know what I mean? Yeah. Every time she meets someone, she says, I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, David. There's a, I love this type of talk though. I love a TV show where we can theorize because, because it's fun. Yeah. This is actually fun. Yeah. Honestly, Dave, if we had, if we had time, 
I would have, after watching the first episode, I would have suggested that we just break down every episode individually, but I'm sure our regular listeners who listen to other shows on this network, they're well aware of how busy we are currently. Oh yeah. And think about it, Mike. I mean, the things that we've been, uh, we've been saying for our audience who listens to the, the weird West radio, a mountain disappearing, a being coming out of a pit, time travel, <laughs> possibly uh, a, a possible future self coming back to deal with her older self, a conscious universe, a conscious universe, Kronos. God, <laughs> God, yeah, proving God is, does not exist. And then you throw in all the other elements, you know, like the whole family element is also really interesting. How they're, the abbots are willing to, what are they willing to do for each other and protect each other? This because is, that's what it comes down to. This is the perfect weird neo-Western. Neo-Western. It really is. This is the thing I've been wanting out of a weird Western for a very long time. Hopefully I, it turns out well. I just hope they don't go with like, oh, everything's aliens in the end. Yeah, I don't, I don't no want that. Aliens no aliens and no alternate timelines. No alternate timelines, enough, I hope. Enough of that. It's nonsense. Okay, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. And good night. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> You can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>